Let us pray. So, Father, may our hearts always praise your holy name. May we be filled with adoration of you, our great and glorious God. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning, everyone. Good to see all of you this morning. And um, I'm going to invite you, while I share some other information, to turn to the 12th chapter of the book of Hebrews, um, either in your Bibles, your devices with Scripture on them, or you can take a Bible out from one of the pew where you're seated. And as you're doing that, just want to share just one other way that we God has enabled us to reach out to our community. This past Friday, we gave 91 backpacks to Neabsco Elementary School with school items for needy children that you all and our VBS participants donated. And so thank you all very much for that. It was a wonderful time. And we also were invited to set up a table and participate at the school's back-to-school carnival on Friday afternoon. We gave out, also the families that received backpacks received fresh produce from our garden out back, and we were able to visit with folks. We had um, hand tattoos and face painting for the kids, and we gave out water bottles with All Saints' name on them, and we were able to have flyers that talked about um, story time in the park and our food giveaways and our Sunday services. And my understanding is Tammy was there for a while. The superintendent of Prince William County Schools came by, and she was just very excited that we were there. And so thank you all. And this is just another way that God is enabling us to reach our community and build bridges for the gospel to people all around us. Well, looking at the 12th chapter of Hebrews today, continuing as we have in the past few weeks, looking at the letter to the Hebrews, today I'm focusing on verses 18 through 24. As I prepared this sermon this week, I know our New Testament reading today went through verse 29. I realized it was just way too much ground to cover in one sermon. So you'll get part two next Sunday for verses 25 through 29. But look at Hebrews 18, 12, 18 through 24 today. Like much of the book of Hebrews, these verses are both theologically rich and filled with God's profound truth. And they're also fairly complex. Hebrews is not a light book in Scripture. So what I would say is hang in there with me today as we try to unpack some of these riches of God's truth found here. Um, I've got application, but I don't have a lot of stories and illustrations as I looked and worked to prepare. It was like... There were just none that, that fit specifically what we were talking about today, but I do have application, obviously. There's always application, deep application from the truth of God's Word. So today's reading begins with a contrast in Hebrews 12, painting a picture of Moses receiving the Old Covenant directly from God on Mount Sinai. Look at those verses with me, verses 18 through 21. For you have not come to what may be touched a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. Even if a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. All of this that's depicted here is based on the Old Testament account of Moses receiving the Old Covenant on Mount Sinai in Exodus chapters 19 through 20. And the picture here is of one that filled the Israelites, God's Old Testament people, with awe and with fear. 
as we just read in this moment of experience, Moses said, I tremble with fear. And what we read here, and also in Exodus, is a depiction of the awesomeness and absolute holiness of God as his people encountered his holy presence at Mount Sinai. Now, to be clear this morning, as we look at this reading from Hebrews, God has not changed. Malachi 3.6 reminds us of this eternal truth where we read, For I, the Lord, do not change. And I know I've touched on it before, but it's so important for us to understand that there is this false notion that has no truth in Scripture, that somehow God in the Old Testament was different or is different than God in the New Testament. So the God of the Old Testament is a God of judgment and of wrath, and the God of the New Testament is a God of love and mercy. Scripture is clear. God does not change. God's character is unchanging. His essence, who he is in his very being, is unchanging. So keep that in mind. Keeping this truth in mind, there are, however, some differences in how we, as God's new covenant people, relate to and interact with God in contrast to the old covenant. And the key to understanding this hinges on the cross of Jesus Christ. You see, as I've mentioned several times in recent weeks, the old covenant pointed forward in a continuing way and continued to unfold with greater clarity bit by bit through the centuries, this pivotal moment of redemptive history. The old covenant pointed forward and continued to unfold this redemptive moment that was coming in the cross of Jesus Christ. In contrast, as I also mentioned last week, under the New Covenant, we have the incredible blessing and benefit of looking back to that moment. The old God's Old Covenant people, the Old Testament people, look forward to that. We look back to that moment. And we have the blessing in looking back to the cross and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus as historical fact and record. But with this blessing and this incredible benefit there also comes awesome responsibility for you and for me. F.F. Bruce in his commentary on this text says this, awesome as were the circumstances of the giving of the law in Moses' day, more awesome by far are the privileges associated with the gospel, particularly if they are despised or refused. Bruce continues, those who wholeheartedly believe the gospel and gladly embrace its privileges have no need to fear. Now what F.F. Bruce here says here in no way denigrates the awesome majesty and holiness of God. Nor does it in any way diminish the reality of the Old Testament revelation of God. But for the Christian. For the person who has embraced the good news of the gospel through Jesus Christ, fear in the sense of terror is eradicated. But we have an even greater fear in the sense of awe and respect and reverence and honor for our God who has done all of this for us. The Anglican priest of the 18th century, John Newton captured it well in the verse of Amazing Grace where he says this, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. 
How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. Newton understood from his own life, from his own experience, from the truth of Scripture, that in coming to Christ, we gain a right fear in sense of awe and reverence for our God, for His majesty and for His holiness. And at the same time, fear in the sense of terror and dread, terror and dread of eternal separation from God, fear that comes through the temporal uncertainties of this world, which are relieved by knowing God, that fear is eradicated. That fear is relieved because we no longer dread separation from God. We no longer dread the uncertainties of this world, knowing who controls and holds this world and holds us in his hands. But to reject such a great and gracious salvation is rightly an absolutely terrifying thing. Hebrews 10.29 warns about trampling underfoot the Son of God and profaning the blood of the covenant. And that verse continues to say that this outrages the Spirit, referring to the Holy Spirit of God Himself. It outrages the Spirit of grace. Understanding these truths should fill our hearts with incredible compassion, with concern for those who don't know Christ, who don't know the reality of fears and dread relieved. And it should fill us with zeal to live the gospel out in our lives day by day, asking God to help us accurately reflect His holy righteous and gracious character to those around us. So for those in Christ, those under the new covenant, here is the contrast in comparison to the old covenant. We have not come to Mount Sinai. Instead, as the imagery depicts here, we have come as new covenant believers figuratively to Mount Zion. So we have come in verses 22 through 24. But the first thing you and I must understand is how we have come to God, how we have come to God's time and to God's appointed place. And understanding the how must precede comprehending the who and the what to which we have come. The words here in verse 22, but you have come, are much more significant and the wording is much stronger than what we might glean from simply reading the English here. What we have come to is decisively different than the Mount Sinai experience in Exodus. And the word to come here is the same Greek word. This is what we have to understand. The same Greek word from which we get our English words proselytes or to proselytize. To, to be a proselyte or to proselytize speaks of a change of heart, a change of mind, a new perspective, a conversion in one's heart and in one's thinking. And we come to this genuine spiritual conversion. What God calls us to, what we have come to as believers, comes through transformation. And this is only through Jesus Christ who transforms us and brings us into intimate and unbroken fellowship with Him. 
the how of coming to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God is through the transforming power of Jesus Christ and him alone. And through this living relationship with Jesus, deep fellowship as a child of the most high God. The writer of Hebrews then goes on to describe seven specific aspects of who and what we have come to under the new covenant. So here's the what. Seven points very quickly. One, we have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem. And these three terms here, Mount Zion, the city of the living God, heavenly Jerusalem, are each a different way of describing the same eternal reality. We, by believing the gospel of Jesus Christ, have come to a spiritual realm, not a realm that is merely physical or temporal. Remember in the Old Testament under King David, Mount Zion was the royal residence which extended to encompass the area around Jerusalem, what we know as Jerusalem today, and the Ark of God was there. And this location represented and spoke of the physical presence of God among his people because the Ark of the Covenant represented God's physical presence with Old Testament Israel in a very specific and unique way that was foreign to any other people. And even though the promise for you and me of the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven, which we read of here and which is spoken of in Revelation 21, has not yet come to pass, already spiritually through Jesus, we have access to the realities of this eternal kingdom because God is indeed with us as believers in Christ. God has made his dwelling place in and through us and with us as his new covenant people. We have access to the realities of his eternal kingdom even now. Whoa. That should cause us to take pause and to ponder in awe and wonder and adoration and praise to God. By faith in Jesus, we already enjoy the privileges of citizenship in the eternal heavenly kingdom because we are already citizens there with all of God's people. St. Paul writing in Philippians chapter 3 verse 20 says this, but our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. For the person who is truly in Christ God is already fully accessible to us. And beyond that, God has made his dwelling place with us. And we can now walk in direct, intimate fellowship with him. Second, we have come to innumerable angels in festal gathering. And this gives us a picture of the tens of thousands of holy ones, the tens of thousands of angels who attended God in this what is depicted at Mount Sinai, particularly in Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 2. But beyond that, it also reminds us that Jesus passed by the angels. He passed by the angels in order to take on human flesh. He left that scene where angels day and night worship our God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as the eternal Son of God passed by and through them 
and came to earth and took on human flesh and blood to redeem you and me. And their worship, this heavenly scene where they attend the throne of God should also remind us and stir you and me to an even greater worship of God than theirs. Why? Because Jesus, the eternal Son of God, didn't come and shed his blood and die to redeem them. He came and died to redeem you and me who are created in the image of the Most High God. And our worship should be a worship that we freely offer in awe and thanksgiving through Christ our Savior. Third, we've come to the assembly of the firstborn who are, in thr- or who are enrolled in heaven, beginning of verse 23. And the wording here is actually that we have come to an assembly and a church of the firstborn, having been enrolled. In other words, we have come to an assembly and a church, a, a corporate body of the firstborn, and we have been enrolled in that through Christ. We are each part of the people of God, the redeemed of the Lord. And this includes believers in heaven. And on earth, saints of old, heroes of the faith, and it includes each of us. You know, I used to think of a much greater separation between the church in heaven and the church on earth than I do these days. And from a human perspective, that that expanse seems immense. But if we can somehow think of it from a divine perspective... That's a very thin veil. We are all in God's eyes, the people, the church of God, together in heaven and on earth, united in him. Fourth, we come to God, the judge of all. Hebrews 4.13 reminds us, and no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. That need not fill us with terror if we are in Christ. Rather, it should fill us with a sober and solemn sense uh, for the call of God upon each of our lives. We are called to live holy for God. We are called and are transformed and continue to be transformed to reflect God's character. Remember Hebrews 12, 10 last week, we looked at where God calls us to share in his holiness. God, the living God, has brought us into his presence and into intimate fellowship with him. And considering how holy and righteous that almighty God is, that God invites us in, to that fellowship that God invites us in to share in his character should fill us with holy awe. And that should never be taken lightly or flippantly. I think far too often, particularly in the church in this country, we treat God like he's our boyfriend or something the way we talk about him. You know what I'm talking about? And yes, God does invite us into intimate fellowship with him. But he is an awesome, holy, and righteous God. We are his creation, and he is our creator. 
Let us never lose sight of that. Fifth, we're called to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. And if that reminds us again very briefly of our fellowship with those who know the fullness of faith face to face. They already are experiencing the fullness of this great salvation. Six, we are called to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. Never forget that we approach God through Jesus. We approach God through the merits of Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God. Jesus, who is our great high priest, as the book of Hebrews emphasizes. Hebrews 9, verses 24 through 25. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Did you hear that? He appears to God in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own. Why is this? Because Jesus Christ gave his own blood. First Timothy 2.5 reminds us, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. We must remember we come to God through Christ, through his merits, what he has accomplished for us. Every Sunday, as part of the Eucharist, we pray this prayer that reminds us of that eternal truth. We do not presume to come to this your table, O merciful Lord, trusting in our own righteousness, but in your abundant and great mercies. We are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under your table. But you are the same, Lord, whose character is always to have mercy. We come through the mercies of Christ. We come through what Christ has accomplished for us and not of our own volition, not of our own righteousness. Seventh and finally, we come to the sprinkled blood. The blood of animal sacrifices under the old covenant pointed to the reality of what Christ would do. And those sacrifices had no efficacy in and of themselves, but they gave God's people a means to express faith in the promise of the one to come. And apart from that faith in that promise, those sacrifices would have been meaningless because they pointed to the reality. They gave us, if you will, a prophetic picture of the reality we now know through the cross of Jesus Christ. And through Christ's blood. Through Christ's blood. And what we celebrate here every Sunday is we're reminded. And we're taken to that, the, that place figuratively again. Through Christ's blood. No barrier exists for those who are new creations in him. We are cleansed. We are forgiven. We have peace. That's why every Sunday after the prayer of confession and before we begin the Eucharistic liturgy, we have the passing of the peace. Passing of the peace is not a meet and greet time. We have confessed. We've been assured of forgiveness through God's mercy. We hear what we call the most comfortable words, specific scriptures that point to what Jesus has done on our behalf. And then the priest who's 
celebrant for that day says, the peace of the Lord be with you. And you say, and with your spirit. And we say, let us greet or exchange with one another God's sign of peace. That is celebrating and recognizing that we have peace with God, forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ and through Christ and the forgiveness that we have. We also have peace with one another as our brothers and sisters in this new covenant community of believers. That's what passing the peace is all about. So how have we come? We've come through Jesus Christ. We've come to Mount Zion, but we come through Christ. And the what, so we have the how of coming, and the what encompasses all the realities of his eternal kingdom in our lives. And it comes down to each of us to what do we want? And do we desire Christ and the priorities of God's eternal kingdom more than anything else in this world and in this life? As Father Jed, first service, led us in prayer before we came in back in the vesting room. And I remember he said these words, may we not be merely informed, but transformed. And that's the essence of it. It's not about head knowledge. It's not about gathering information. It's about the transforming work of God in our lives. We come to Mount Zion. We come to the eternal dwelling of God. We come to the priorities and the values and the realities of God's kingdom. But we come through Christ. And one must come that first time. If you've never come, you will never have your fears relieved. You'll never know what it is to fear God in awe and wonder and love until you come to that place. And that every single one of us who knows Christ, we need to continue, continue coming to that place and seeking God and knowing Christ more fully every day of our lives and seeing his grace and his transforming power at work, making us more and more individually and together into the people he has called and created us to be. We are too reminded of these incredible truths every Sunday in the Eucharist. And I want to share, not from the revised or the renewed ancient text, rather, which we use most Sundays, but from what is known as the Anglican Standard Text. We have two different Eucharistic liturgies, and both are valid, and different churches use different ones. We use the Standard Text at Easter Vigil, on Christmas Eve, Epiphany, Ascension Day, a few services like that. It's a little bit longer, but I want to read these words that remind us so profoundly of how we come and what we are called to in Christ. And we earnestly desire your fatherly goodness mercifully to accept this, our sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving, asking to grant that by the merits and death of your son, Jesus Christ, and through faith in his blood, we and your whole church may obtain forgiveness of our sins and all other benefits of his passion. And here we offer and present to you, O Lord, ourselves, our souls and bodies, to be a reasonable, holy, and living sacrifice. We humbly pray that all who partake of this holy communion may worthily receive the most precious body and blood of your Son, Jesus Christ, be filled with your heavenly grace and your grace and heavenly benediction. Benediction means blessing. And be made one body with him. One body with him. That he may dwell in us and we in him. 
And although we are unworthy because of our many sins to offer you any sacrifice, yet we ask you to accept this duty and service we owe, not weighing our merits, but pardoning our offenses through Jesus Christ our Lord. That really sums up the how and the who and the what, doesn't it? saints of old got it. St. Paul got it because at the end of his life he could write I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord the righteous judge will award me on that day. And not only to me but also to all who have loved his appearing. Let us pray. Heavenly Father we stand we sit, we even fall down in absolute awe of who you are and for what you have done on our behalf. How we are able to come to you through the merits of your eternal son, Jesus Christ, who gave his life's blood for us. And Lord, you have called us to that heavenly Zion. You have called us even now to live fully as citizens of your kingdom. Lord, eradicate in us temporal fear, dread, fear of things gone awry in the world around us. And replace that with an awesome, holy fear and all of you that is infused with love by your gracious work in us. And Lord, as we lay hold of these incredibly profound truths, and I pray that we would do that more deeply every day as we seek you and you alone. May you fill us with your presence. May you fill us with the life of your kingdom. May we be used by you to reflect that to the world around us that all may know and experience the joy of your salvation, the forgiveness of sins, the blessings of kingdom life even now. So Lord, search us. Lord, root out from us any crevice of this world that would seek to rise up as an affront against you and your kingdom reign in our lives. May we lay that down even now because you've given us the grace and the power to do that by your spirit. And may, may we walk as a people that are wholly yours. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.